structures, and if the uh, yeah, uh, the new uh, uh, anti-COVID uh, uh, drugs coming out, so that will help the economic uh, uh, growth uh, globally, and that will lead to export contribution as well. And if you look at the monetary policy, the third quarter PBOC monetary policy report also shows that it tries to maintain the stable monetary policy. The M2 and also the social financing uh, will maintain according to the uh, growth of the GDP. So that uh, shows the monetary policy will not, will not change in the recent uh, time. So that will uh, help the liquidity of the equity market. Okay, Yan, and sadly we've run out of time, but thank you very much for that. That's Yan Wu, Chairman of Zhengwang Bao yeah, up in Beijing. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. U.S. stock index futures trading in Asia are slipping a little bit now this morning, down about a quarter of a percent, so that's dragging Asian stocks lower. Uh, the SX200 in Australia off about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is flat, as is the Cosby in uh, South Korea. <clears throat> Excuse me, looks like the Hang Seng going to fall about 0.1% at the open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, dry with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 22 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be fine and dry for the rest of this week. Temperature right now, 17 degrees, 68% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Donald Trump has attacked the FBI and the U.S. Department of Justice, accusing them of working against him in his efforts to overturn the results of the presidential election. He was speaking in his first interview since Joe Biden was declared the winner more than three weeks ago. Speaking to Fox News, Mr. Trump repeated unsubstantiated claims of fraud and refused to give a deadline for when he might drop his legal challenges. I'm not going to say a date. But I will say we have to move very fast. We have been moving fast. And, you know, look, when you say, is it tainted? Everyone knows it's tainted. Everyone knows that the that the poll watchers were thrown out of buildings. Everyone knows that people were not allowed to vote when they walked in so preciously, so beautifully to vote. Medical experts have warned that America's severe coronavirus outbreak is likely to get even worse as millions travel home after the Thanksgiving holiday. Anthony Fauci said there could be a surge upon surge of, in cases, while the White House response coordinator Deborah Burke said her team was deeply worried. Diego Maradona's doctor is being investigated for possible manslaughter following the death of the Argentine football legend. Police in Buenos Aires searched Leopoldo Luki's house and private clinic for evidence of negligence after Maradona's daughters gave statements questioning their father's medical care. He died of a heart attack on Wednesday at the age of 60. In an emotional press conference, Dr Luki cried and said he'd done all he could to save the life of a friend. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I think about everything, a lot. I would like him to be here. Do I have regrets? I don't know, because he wanted a life that was bad. I tried to accompany him, everything. I even took him out to play football. He didn't even want to play. The World Health Organization has warned that progress in the fight against malaria appears to have stalled. In its annual report, the agency says the number of cases and deaths has remained largely unchanged in recent years, in contrast to the dramatic falls seen since the turn of the century. Here's the BBC's Imogen Folks. 
The number of deaths over the last two years is virtually unchanged at just over 400,000. Case numbers have hovered at around 230 million annually for the past four years. The WHO is today calling on governments to step up the fight. Anti-malaria programmes faced a funding shortfall before COVID-19. With the added strain the pandemic is putting on global health funds, pleas for more money to fight malaria may go unheard. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. The latest on COVID-19 today from Wednesday. All schools at the secondary level and below are to suspend in-person classes for the rest of the year. After authorities confirmed 115 COVID-19 cases yesterday, the highest number in almost four months. Dr. Chanchuk Kwan of the Centre for Health Protection said it seems it's more severe than the last wave, but it depends on the coming days. We've so far tightened some social distancing measures, increased the general awareness of the public and increased the testing. Testing is much easier than in previous wave. Hopefully this will find out more cases and speed up the control. What do you think we should be doing now to reduce the outbreak again? And why did it happen? Should we work from home? Should we rethink public transport? Do you think the school closure is appropriate? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bank Chat and RT. RTHK Radio 3. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Just before we get into the uh, latest on uh, COVID, uh, just an announcement that uh, there was a, there were problems on the island line, a faulty train there, that's uh, at Fortress Hill. That's been removed and normal train services gradually resuming on the uh, island line of the MTR. And uh, on Friday, we, we were talking to the uh, Chief Secretary about the uh, policy address. Just a couple of comments um, on that. Uh, Patrick says, the Chief Secretary doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence in our government officials, does he? I listened last year, and he sounded exactly the same as this year. He never answered any of the questions, talked in circles, told a bunch of lies, and I'm wondering how many times he mentioned the Vision Lantau thingy in an hour. I'm a bit disappointed nobody asked him what they need to do now with regards to the economy, since we're in the middle of a worsening pandemic. It probably doesn't matter anyway, because I'm sure he has no idea. And uh, G says... Uh, China is pushing Hong Kong to a single-party system since they outlawed multi-party uh, in China. Thanks very much indeed for that. Joining us to talk now about COVID, we have Dr Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and Michael Chin, a round-table party lawmaker, and others will be joining us after the news at nine. Dr Choi, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, why has this happened? Why does something like this wave occur? I think uh, the scholars have uh, discovered that the virus is linked to citizens returning from Nepal and that the uh, security measures of um, escorting uh, returnees from overseas is not strict enough and uh, the parents of uh, those returning from overseas have been visiting their kids in the hotels um, without uh, allowance. So uh, this probably brought on the fourth wave in addition to the uh, dancing dancing clubs and the uh, various um, 
functions where more than 40 people are allowed to gather. Right, Dr. Choi, this is breaking down at several different points, from the from the plane to the test centre, uh, from the test centre to the hotel, and then while in the hotel. Yes, this this this, um, this is not an acceptable uh, uh, method of uh, transporting citizens back from the airport to the hotel, and then. Uh, making sure that they stay in the hotel. Because uh, in other countries, uh, the rules and the regulations are more strict. And uh, they, those returning from overseas are escorted back to the hotel in uh, designated uh, vehicles. Right. And they are escorted into the room uh, instead of uh, being allowed to buy their own supplies, food supplies and so on before going to the hotel. So there's a loophole there, and uh, probably this loophole has to be closed. Uh, have there definitely been cases linked to that, or is that just a... a, a... I think the, the, the link is in the examination of the virus, uh, the genetic material of the mm -hmm. virus, which mm -hmm. shows that uh, the last, the, the recent outbreak is linked to uh, the Nepal uh, outbreak. Oh, I I'm surprised that you mentioned the... Uh, visitors to the people in the hotel rooms because when my daughter came back it was very strict no visitor policy enforced by the hotel yes so some hotels have not enforced this strictly and uh, mother have been able to visit their kids returning uh, back from overseas how, can i ask how they enforced it mike because if somebody just goes into a hotel normally you just no, get no, a lift think, and you could just go I to someone's room it, couldn't you no actually had no yeah, you had no access to that floor where okay. the oh, where I the see, COVID yeah. people were. None. Yeah. Unless That's a staff one, member was there. One way, and another way is to make sure that the hotel is strictly for COVID patients. Or the or, floor or, of that hotel. Or for suspected yeah. COVID patients, so that uh, you don't... Uh, uh, it actually can be close to uh, outside visitors, strictly. Yeah. Well, Dr. Troy, what do we do now? What should we do now? I think uh, what we have been doing now is... Um, Doing the basic screenings that 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 is um, uh, hand washing, uh, masks, and uh, distancing, and what we are the the profession is doing, and the medical medical and health profession is doing, is to find out the cases and to isolate them before they spread further. So this is the rationale behind the uh, compulsory uh, uh, testing to make sure that we find the cases before they spread further. But uh, whether this will work or not is, uh, you know, re really uh, difficult to pre predict. All right, Michael Tin, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. I think you're also concerned about that issue of the of how we treat those returning from overseas. <clears throat> well, I've been following the various waves since February, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I've been, been in sort of continuous contact with various experts. Uh, I guess some government trust a lot and some they don't really talk to them. I think the consensus that I get is that if you have a wave coming in where there are a lot of unidentified local cases, where is the source of all this? It doesn't come from nowhere. And everybody pointed to actually everything started with unidentified import cases. As you know, every day they report 
a lot of import cases. These are the cases they uh, catch uh, coming in from the airport. I asked uh, the government whether there was any land border import cases, and they answered definitively there was zero in the last six months. I found that a little bit, uh, you know, shocking, but since they answered me definitively, I really am not in a position to question them. So assuming all these import cases are from the airport, then how many actually uh, uh, came in undetected? So I start looking into the ways they do it. And I pointed out three huge loopholes during the uh, uh, chief executive Q&A session at LegCo, and surprisingly, Carrie Lam actually responded positively to each of them without denying any of it. First of all, the testing. When people come back from high-risk areas these days, they undergo a test. That test is not a swap test. It is not the swap test that China uses on every single person going into China, nor is it the same thing that government used on 1.7 million Hong Kong people uh, a couple of weeks before. All right? And the problem with uh, the test they use, which is a saliva test, where you just spit, and you have to really know how to do it. It sort of has to be deep from the throat and not just regular spitting. And a lot of friends... Uh, uh, kids told me they really don't even know how to do it, and supposedly you have to do it early in the morning, but then when you arrive, the plane may not arrive early in the morning all the time, and you're not supposed to eat two hours before, and people don't even know about that. So that testing actually should be banned and changed to standardized testing of uh, swap, swapping, right? And uh, government says they're looking to that. Secondly, uh, when they transfer people uh, when they okay, after they uh, concluded that the test is negative, they then send these people to their own hotel uh, after slapping on a wristband. Now these are hotels that a lot of these people pick themselves. So the kind of problem that Gabriel talked about surface. Are hotels all very straight? And do they go directly to the hotel or they go around in another way? Uh, in the meantime, they could pass it on to cab drivers because they use their own transport. There are no designated transport that are bonded, protected, and all that. Now, the most bizarre situation is with ITB, the Technology Bureau. They are responsible for slapping the wristband on these people, and they're supposed to activate the wristband uh, within like two or three hours uh, uh, after they uh, uh, get on their journey, after they arrive at a destination, they're supposed to slap on their wristband. But there's no time limit as to when they can do it. When I called my DB, they said it's within hours. But what I heard is a lot of people have the wristband on, they don't activate it, and they go around visiting their friends and relatives, say hello, they stock up 14 days of food supply or things that they like. Okay, then they check into the hotel and then they activated the wristband. In between that time, that could be three hours, five hours, even overnight. It could be the next day. So the enforcement by various government agencies, they are all looking at one part of this whole process. But there is no central agency that looks at the complete enforcement. For example, when the ITB realized that someone hasn't activated their wristband for like two or three days, they actually have to report to the health department, and then either they send the enforcement official to check on this person, or they report to the police. 
All right, so these are the three major loopholes that I could see, and I pointed out to the chief executive uh, in the electrical session, and she, uh, you know, did not deny any of them. And then she said she's going to follow up on it. From what I understood, airport as of now is still using the saliva test. They have not switched to uh, the ones that I had requested. Right. And the wristband is still not being activated within a certain time period. Michael, I I have to say, this sounds like Keystone Cops stuff. This is amateurish. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... It it doesn't seem so to the Hong Kong government, Mike. You've been been following this since February. I would have hoped that the government would have been following this since February. How, How can you find all this and then present it to the chief executive and it's it's sort of it's either news or old news or it's something we knew but we haven't done anything about it mike you're quite right the fact that i need to uh, point out these three huge loopholes which almost all experts agree and they are indeed real loopholes that are happening today this week today yesterday all right and the chief executive did not, and you know how straightforward she is, she's a straight shooter. She would have said, of course we're doing this, all right? These are all rumors that you're hearing. She did not deny any of this. In fact, she responded positively. So it begs the question, this is now what, 10 months? Is it 10 months or no, eight months? Eight, nine months into the pandemic. Why do we still have such a huge loophole at the airport? Yeah, I mean, surely you... It's bizarre. It's you, bizarre. You march someone, you you invent a, a patient who's flown in, and you walk through the system. You walk that person through the system, and you see all the places where it could be going wrong, and you fix them. I mean, but that's that's week one, not not week 40. In, the, in one paragraph of the policy address, she started off by saying that there is a steering committee overseeing this whole issue, and then she uh, was the head of the committee, so she gave me the impression that she was very hands-on. So when I asked that question at Lachco, I started with, well, since now I know that you are quite hands-on uh, chairing this overall arching steering committee, uh, I have now identified three loopholes and these are my suggestions. May I hear your response? Right. All right. So, so basically, she at first I thought she delegated it to someone like Matthew Chung, right? Or that she delegated to different bureau chief, and then somehow they all just go about doing their own thing. But then it's clearly stated in the policy address that she chairs the steering com- committee. So, so either she doesn't go into the enforcement details but only look at policy. You understand what I mean? All the right. things that I talk about is not just policy, all right? The right. policy uh, uh, intentions are all there, but it's the details. Uh, Dr Choi, what, what do you make of that? In particular, maybe the, the question of the quality of the tests. Um, are well, the, are those that we, you know... One meeting with the uh, Secretary uh, of Food and Health, uh, I asked about the quality of the different tests uh, the sensitivity and the specificity of the test, and I was told that uh, they could not offer me a figure. So uh, I, I, I also learned that um, the uh, study was done in Queen Elizabeth Hospital about the different saliva tests, which showed that uh, the sensitivity of the test is almost as good.
quality uh, testing that was done uh, a couple of months ago. The default test requires uh, medical personnel or health personnel to take the swab properly so that the detection rate is high. Then, doc- also, also, yes, also we need to know that there are several firms doing the testing, and some of the firms may not be up to par and mm. provide uh, false positive results or false negative results. So uh, these are the things you need to consider. Dr Choi, if the deep throat test or the nasal test are the best ones and the no most accurate... Is the best one. No, no, no one is saying that it's the best one. OK. There's no, no evidence to say it's the best one. I, I, can I just make a comment? Seriously, I, I really have to jump in. Yep. If we can have uh, people from the, the central government sent down to Hong Kong to test 1.7 million Hong Kong citizens... I don't think Hong Kong people would object if China keeps a permanent team at the airport to help us. Well, what's the problem? I wouldn't object, right? They're not going to run all over the town. If, if they can actually send a force here, uh, you know, on a semi-permanent basis just to plug the loophole at the airport... Why can't we do that? Why do we have to get well, someone... If, okay, then that's what Gabriel said. Do we have enough resources? And then they right. start passing the buck. Right now, I'm saying that if we can test 1.7 million people in two weeks, what kind of force do you need to okay. test, what, 1,000 people coming at the airport every day? But you can do that another way, can't you, Michael? You can do what Australia did and pace the returnees to match the resources available to check what, them properly. What, whatever it is, okay, I am not saying that the saliva test is any less accurate than the swab test if you do it correctly. The problem with the saliva test is the person being tested has to know how to do it. Yes. Do you know how to do you know how to do deep throat uh, spitting? I don't. I do because I've had to do it twice oh, okay, well, before well, operations how, recently. How, honestly, Mike, I don't know how deep is deep. Alright? Because yeah. there's no way of telling the person being tested whether he or she actually did the right thing. Right. And then it goes in the bottle. Come on. It's ridiculous. And you were sent into the cubicle without supervision. So people don't even know whether you just spit into it or whether you go and do it, right? Yes. So it has to be tested by professional. It's plain and simple. Do you you just check your own blood, whatever content, with, with a needle injection? Do you trust yourself? You need a professional to do it, right? Yes. Okay, a couple of comments from listeners. John says, uh, you get tested before departure, USA as well as many other countries. You get tested in Hong Kong upon arrival. The people returning to Hong Kong are the safest ones, tested multiple times. Let's blame someone else, normal Hong Kong style. That's uh, from John, who says um, the people arriving in Hong Kong are safe. But unfortunately, there are many cases that still emerge, aren't there, Um, uh, at that point. Uh, Paul says, uh, both your guests so far have answered all your questions with the words, I think, hardly scientific talk. It seems that masks have not worked. These days, COVID cases rise and fall regardless of masks. And my question is, what will it take for wearing these disgusting, humiliating garments to become a personal choice again? That comes from uh, Paul uh, Dr. Choi, is Paul right? Is there evidence that masks are ineffective? I think the evidence uh, of different countries, uh, the results from different countries, including Taiwan, Singapore and Hong Kong, where masks is enforced, uh, relative to uh, USA, where masks is not being enforced, 
shows you the difference in the uh, uh, sickness, difference in incidence of the sickness. And uh, that is clear that those who practice uh, the distancing, masking and uh, hand washing uh, has less cases. So uh, that, that is evidence enough. There's also evidence by Professor Yoon uh, using uh, uh, white, white, white mice to, uh, uh, which uh, shows that masking is uh, safer than uh, non-masking. So it's, so it's how you wear the mask. You've got to wear it properly. Yes, how you wear the mask is, is, uh, is an issue. But uh, uh, the medical profession have been teaching the population through YouTube uh, uh, and various uh, media how to properly wear the mask. So we're not doing that bad, although some of the senior citizens may have difficulty in keeping the mask on properly throughout 24 hours a day. Yeah. Okay, uh, there was no, a comment about yeah. the returnees being... Uh, tested uh, before on arrival multiple, and departure. Multiple yeah. tested. Uh, how can there still be a problem? Uh, then I beg to uh, differ with that. If that is the case, if we trust that all these tests uh, upon embarkation, uh, they come from different places, right? They have different standards. If they are that accurate, how come every day we still have import cases? Where do they come from? Can I can I ask both of you um, for re of response to uh, something that a couple of our listeners have have raised? This is a story about the Jockey Club. Uh, CW says Hong Kong has has Hong Kong gone completely crazy. We're all asked to minimise social activity, and the Hong Kong Jockey Club are flying in jockeys from high risk countries with no fourteen day quarantine. Why does this group of individuals have such privilege? This must be knocked on the head immediately. Sends totally the wrong message to the Hong Kong public who are asked to follow strict guidelines and are doing their best under difficult circumstances. Sunday, I'm reading two Hong Kong jockeys sent home due to COVID-19 scare. The race meeting went ahead. Last week, four cases at the Happy Valley Clubhouse. The privilege extended to the jockey club and the racehorse owners has gone too far. The government needs to immediately stop all quarant travel quarantine exemptions, including government employees. My uh, understanding why the... The daily business exemptions are in the thousands. Need confirming how many. And Martin says, um, on the jockey club flying in six riders, this is shocking news when our schools have been ordered to, be, to close down for a month and mandatory testing for certain sectors imposed. The perception that some people and organisations in the city are considered to be too important to be subject to general regulations will certainly not encourage enthusiastic response from the community to the government's measures. Horse racing is not an essential activity. The expectation would be that any exemptions would apply only to people like, say, WHO experts and, of course, high-ranking officials from the mainland. Michael Tin, are you aware of these? Are you concerned about this? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All these exemptions have created a huge uproar in uh, society. Of course, then, you, know, you have maybe about 0.1% of uh, the population being exempted and the other 99.99 obviously is up in arms. But regardless, these exemptions should be very, very limited. For example, truck drivers need to go back and forth daily to get food to us, right? Uh, maybe medical personnel. But then it's extended to, I understand, uh, business people, uh, it's extended, as you mentioned now, to jockeys. I mean, it's just ridiculous. What about dance performers? What about there's a huge exhibition or something else and somebody flies some other performers in? Okay. I mean, th this is absolutely unacceptable. Is it reasonable to close the schools, Michael? Excuse me? Is it reasonable to close the schools? Well, 
as of now, the way it's going up, I would. Okay, a uh, couple more comments. Uh, Matthew says, excellent analysis on air border con COVID control weakness by Michael Tin. Thank you, Michael. Is it possible you can commit to doing the same analysis on the weaknesses in our land border system and update us on this and improvements in the air border system in coming days? That is uh, from... Uh, Matthew, Doug says concerns have been raised about arrivals in Hong Kong transferring unescorted from the airport to their quarantine hotels being the possible source of the current wave of COVID infections. But how many passengers who have been, test been tested negative at the airport are subsequently found to be infected? What are the statistics? That question from Doug. Do, do you know the answer to that, Dr Choi? Uh, are, anybody, are people tested pos negative at the airport and then subsequently test positive? I think there were reports of such, but uh, I'm not sure about the figures. Mm, okay. Now, uh, the, the negative results in the airport could be due to uh, in, in ineffective uh, splitting of the survivor or the uh, uh, during the uh, incubation period of the uh, illness uh, when the test would be negative and, and various other, other reasons. So uh, that, that is a possible. That's why it has to be done twice. Okay. So that's why the, the, the person should be quarantined and the test repeated in a few days. Hello. If I can jump in, I have Five, asked... Ten seconds, Mr. Tin. Yes. Ten seconds, go. Okay. I asked government about this. Are all the import cases identified upon arrival? They say no. There are cases where it's tested negative and then eventually positive. Okay, so there are there are cases like yes. that. Well, Michael Tin, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Roundtable uh, Party lawmaker. Dr. Gabriel Choi, President of the Medical Association. Uh, we have a microbiologist and uh, educator, Ipkin Yoon, joining us after the news at nine. Stay tuned. The weather, mainly cloudy, cool, 16 degrees now. Humidity is at 76%. HK. Welcome back. Back chat this Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverson. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID-19. This after uh, 115 cases were recorded locally uh, yesterday, the highest number in almost uh, four months. And of course, the schools are going to be closing later in the week. And we're going to be talking to uh, Ipkin Yoon of the Professional Teachers Union, former uh, Education Sector lawmaker uh, later. Uh, we're joined for the discussion now by uh, Siddharth Sridhar, a clinical assistant professor at the Hong Kong University's Department of Microbiology. And uh, we want to hear from you, as ever. Call us, 233-88266. Email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or comment on our Facebook page. That's backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can uh, join the conversation there, as I say, or join the conversation with us and our guests. If you've got a question, uh, just phone up and put it directly to the guest, 233-88266. Um, is the number. Okay, some uh, comments. Uh, first of all, Paul was complaining, I think, that uh, people were not scientific in their uh, answers uh, because they had said, I think. And Paul comes back and says, uh, he said, I think again. Um, that's about the masks. Uh, uh, Paul was uh, doubting the efficiency and the efficacy of uh, masks. Alonso says, how effective are the COVID wristbands in monitoring returnees? I have reliably heard of umpteen examples of people simply removing their wristbands during the 14-day quarantine and going for walkabouts. One apparent common trick is to ask for the wristband to be placed above your wristwatch resulting in a looser fit and hence easier to remove undetected. Regardless, it's apparent that wristbands can be removed. That's from 
uh, Alonso. Jay says the weak link is when you take your mask off and get the bacteria on your fingers. If you don't wash with alcohol or soap, then you move it around. That seems to be with the same with your shoes as the drips fall down. Uh, Rosamond says, uh, I have booked and paid for a two-week quarantine stay in a service department with a hotel licence in Central when I returned from the UK in early January. Please could you ask your guests if they think the government should ensure that if they change the rules so that returnees can no longer stay in prepaid accommodation, it will mandate that the accommodation will need to refund my payment. I'm sure there are many other people in a similar situation as a lot of hotels required payment in advance for quarantine stays and stated that the booking was non-cancellable. Uh, that's from uh, Rosman. Thank you very much indeed for that. Backchat at rthk.hk. Once again, our email address. Uh, uh, Dr. Sridhar, uh, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, what's, what's going wrong? Uh, what do you think are the um, weak links uh, in, in Hong Kong at the moment? In the first part of the programme, we were talking about the, the quality of the tests. We were talking about how useful the uh, the wristbands are and whether people were really observing the quarantine having come in from outside. What do you see as the problem areas? Right. I think Hong Kong has two major problems. The first one would be that uh, people relax, right? So after going through the rigors of the third wave and having more than 100 cases per day and having all that anxiety, people do tend to let their guard down, and that's just human psychology because we can't be on a state of high alert forever. The problem with that is, yes, you can argue that uh, the cases imported in Hong Kong are an ongoing threat and they can seed the virus into the community. You still need some breakdowns in um, social distancing measures for it to become into a large outbreak that we're seeing today with community transmission. So that line of defense of you know maintaining that uh, basic level of social distancing has uh, broken down, and so we're back here. The other reason, unfortunately, I don't think is reversible. It is that Hong Kong is jam-packed. There's very little space, a lot of people forced to be in very close, live in very close quarters, or work in very close quarters with each other, and uh, the very indoor nature of our lives, you know, really uh, tends to make things worse. Should we, we're going back to working from home? The government and major companies? Right. At, at this stage, uh, I would say that is definitely a good idea. We want to reduce people coming out on the streets for unnecessary purposes. So if it is possible for in your job to work from home, that would be a very good idea. We have to be as proactive as right. possible in terms of instituting these measures. We heard in the first half that because of the variations of the virus and people can trace back where it came from, it does seem to be a lot of what is spreading in the community is came originally sourced from outside Hong Kong. We're not catching it when people arrive. Absolutely. I mean, that's possible as well. You, you're never going to have a 100% uh, foolproof safety net, so there's always going to be little cracks in your net that happen in any system which is put under pressure for a long period of time. The, the, the thing is to analyze individual cases of breakdown and basically see why that happened and see if those errors or those uh, can, can be rectified, right? right. But if, even then, you're going to have these random instances of uh, people slipping through the nets. And if you're unlucky, some of them can see the very large community of break indeed. Do we have any authoritative numbers on, on how many people are exempted, either from the land border or at the airport? 
I, I, I don't have access to that data, so I'm not sure. Because people sure. have floated various numbers on this program, right. talking hundreds of thousands, and I've not heard anyone from the government give an absolute number. Me neither. <laughs> I, 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 I've never seen uh, that particular number. Okay, perhaps we should ask the task force. A, a couple of other things. Uh, one that came up in the first part of the program again it was the, was the quality of the the um, the tests, the the spit tests, um, especially if they're not supervised. If people just do them at home or whatever, are they as accurate and reliable as the uh, as the other ones? Right now, if you have a healthcare worker actually doing a very proper swab from you, uh, those are going to be the gold standard at the end of the day. We have uh, conducted a lot of research here at my department finding that uh, the uh, so-called posterior throat saliva is a reliable surrogate and it is going to catch cases uh, most of the time. You're talking about estimates ranging from 70% of the time to 90 plus percent of the time. So different people in different parts of the world have found different numbers. It is going to be particularly reliable earlier in the disease course when people are most infectious because the viral loads are the highest at the time. So again, given the convenience of the saliva sample collection, I would say it still remains one of the best alternatives we have for getting samples from people. Does it, yeah, does, do, does somebody have to be there to show you how to do it? Because Michael Tim was also talking about that. Or, or, you know, can people do people understand that they've got a spit and sort of spit from the bottom of their lungs. Yeah, I, I think uh, the approach that was taken in Singapore, for example, where they also have spit testing, was to do an instructional video. So people actually watch the video. And I think in some phases, they did have people actually in the room, um, standing more than, say, 1.52 meters away, looking to see if that was uh, done properly. So supervision would help, particularly with, uh, say, children or uh, elderly people who may not have the, say, hand-eye coordination to actually collect that sample, then it, that would be a good idea. But it's not the gold standard. Uh, you mean the saliva testing? Yes, by um, itself. By itself, it is a useful surrogate uh, right. sample for collection. The gold standard for COVID-19 is actually a lower respiratory tract sample because that's where most of the virus is, especially for patients with pneumonia. But we can seldom get uh, samples like sputum or samples from deeper in the lungs, so we are forced to rely on these upper respiratory tract samples for uh, especially asymptomatic or mildly infected individual individuals. So that's what we're okay. doing. Okay. So some more questions then. Uh, Matthew says, or Matt says, uh, great discussion. Uh, I'm listening on the MTR where I'm currently squashed in tighter than a can of sardines. <laughs> At what point do we address this? What about, I mean, you know, if you're looking for people in close proximity, <laughs> it's everywhere in Hong Kong, isn't it, on, on our public transport? Is there room to do... And, of course, nobody's done anything about that at all. Is that a risk factor, do you think? Or is that something, you know, the price we have to pay? It, it absolutely certainly is, and it is a risk factor, and it's the price we have to pay for Hong Kong, you know, not going into lockdown. Mm. Since day one, we've insisted on keeping the city running at some level while controlling COVID-19, and we've done that brilliantly up to this stage. But unfortunately... Uh, the, 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 the side effect of that is that you will have people on the street or in cramped conditions who transmit the virus to each other. And that would be accounting for a lot of these unknown source cases, right? They, they just catch it from random interactions uh, in, in, in uh, public areas, in, in public indoor areas. 
But once the case number spikes, I mean, we have to clamp down. We have to get people working from home as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I also encourage the public to engage in outdoor activities more now that the weather is so pleasant. You know, it's, it's time to actually stay outside and not congregate in indoor cramped areas. Okay. The, uh, another issue is uh, vaccines. Uh, we've been hearing that uh, in the UK, I think maybe even this week, they will start uh, giving a vaccine to uh, health staff and so on and uh, the elderly. Um, so they're already starting their programs there. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the state of the vaccines uh, in Hong Kong? And, you know, does this really mean that this is this really the end of, of COVID-19 potentially? Right. Generally, it's very promising. We've had uh, three to four candidates, uh, vaccine candidates so far, showing uh, very, very good efficacy figures in terms of preventing people from getting sick from COVID-19. So uh, that's that's great news, and it's also great to hear that the UK is launching this, and uh, it means that Hong Kong will definitely be in the queue to receive one. I'm not aware that we have reached a final decision on uh, when or how the vaccines are going to come in, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to start vaccinating a, a, a vulnerable proportion of our population, by which I mean elderly or people with comorbidities, by uh, uh, the first, second quarter of next year. But, but mm. for a vaccine to be rolled out to the general population, you're probably talking much longer, maybe in 2022 or uh, 2023. So um, that, that means that the COVID-19 pandemic situation is here to stay for a period of time. But once the vaccines are rolled out, we are protecting the most vulnerable people in society that really would reduce pressure on mm. our hospitals and health care Were you surprised by the relatively high efficacy estimates given i mean flu is what 50 to 70 percent these ones people talking 90 percent plus absolutely i was surprised and delighted honestly uh it, it was it was really unpredictable how this was going to go we'd never launched a vaccine against the coronavirus before or any or any respiratory virus apart from influenza and as you stated accurately i mean the influenza vaccine is uh 50 percent uh, is the vaccine efficacy so the fact that this vaccine seems to be so effective is uh, very, very uh, heartening. And I know a lot of scientists were absolutely delighted with the outcome. But what we don't know is how long the protection lasts, right? And we also don't know how uh, how it works in some special populations, especially the pediatric population. Right. We don't have data on that. And, uh, you know, there's some... It seems very safe at the moment, but uh, we have to wait and watch to see if there are any safety signals that crop up. Am I right in thinking, this is the depth of my scientific knowledge now, am I right in thinking that when they make the flu vaccines, they're kind of forecasting that they're made, they're made in advance uh, and um, they have to kind of guess what strain or, or what exactly the, that, that year's uh, uh, disease will look like, that year's uh, um, virus strain yeah, will look like. Uh, and, and is it different with this because they know how it will look? But again, is there the possibility that it could drift and that you could get uh, a um, you could make a vaccine, but it would become out of date by by mutations to the COVID nineteen? Great points. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the factors with influenza because it changes every every year. It changes a little bit, and that might affect how your vaccine, uh, how effective your vaccine is. But there are also design problems inherent to the influenza vaccine, in that the traditional ways we have of designing vaccines 
seem to only be effective to a certain extent against influenza. A lot of people are looking at ways to make the influenza vaccine more effective for all strains, you know, as long as it doesn't change too much. And hopefully we'll start seeing some better vaccines coming out in the future. As you said, for uh, uh, COVID-19, we don't have that issue. We know the virus pretty well, and uh, we have a pretty good uh, so-called vaccine target, a way of hitting the virus. Now, how it's going to change in the future is unknown, but it is unlikely to change as fast as the influenza virus does because it has a way of actually decreasing its own mutation rate. So yes, the COVID-19 virus does mutate, but it mutates at a lower rate than uh, other similar viruses because of a quirk in its uh, uh, in, in, in the way it replicates its own genome. So it's very interesting. Um, so hopefully uh, we, won't be able, we won't be seeing very major vaccine escape mutants or uh, things like that. But yeah, there is always a, slow, a small possibility that that might occur. And then we might have to revamp the vaccine to mm-hmm. hit the mutants. So, yeah. All right, uh, some more comment, uh, quite a lot of emails. Uh, Alonso says, how effective are the COVID wristbands in monitoring returnees? I have reliably heard of umpteen examples of people simply removing their wristbands during the 14-day quarantine and going for walkabouts. One apparently common trick is to ask for the wristband to be placed above your wristwatch, uh, uh, resulting in a looser fit. Did I read that earlier? Yes, you did. I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, OK, um, Matthew says, there have been sporadic media reports in the last few months of illegal immigrants being caught coming into Hong Kong by boat. In photos, they're typically well-dressed and not the stereotypical typical IIs of the past. Uh, Knowing how quickly opportunities to profit get filled, I would be amazed if there wasn't already a thriving black market up and running, transporting mainland people illegally back and forth between Hong Kong and uh, South China. That was happening with pets, wasn't it? And in fairness, Hong Kong people into the mainland. Yes, I think you said both ways. Uh, Okay, uh, Umesh says, this whole system on arrivals in Hong Kong has proved to not work at all. Uh, Across the pond up north, uh, all arrivals are bussed to approved quarantine hotels, which are strictly under lockdown from outsiders. You are given two choices of prices, cheap or moderate rooms. The various city governments have taken over those hotels and used them only for quarantine. Outside deliverers are allowed and dropped off at the lobby. Staff then drop them off at room doors promptly. Why can't this useless lamb curry administration follow this workable system mind-boggling on the stupidity uh, and uh, Sam says there seems to be a serious flaw according to Mr Michael Tin who has gone into the procedure in detail this is serious are the officials in the government focused only on the propaganda on policy that's in place issues are with the proper execution of policy when it comes to overseas visitors for COVID the CE can establish policy and head committees but it's not fair to expect her to follow up the execution and to apportion blame it's up to the officials put in place and not be Michael Tin to point out Officials have failed. It's time for the CE to crack the whip and shake up. That comes uh, from Sam. Well, we're joined now by uh, Ipkin Yoon of the Professional Teachers Union, former Education Sector lawmaker. Mr Ip, good morning to you. Hello, Mr Ip. Ipkin Yoon. Yeah, hello, uh, hi. I'm still legislative councillor today. Oh, yes, OK. <laughs> oh, uh, does it end at midnight tonight or something? Uh, I, I think so. 
Okay, all right. Okay, so it's still still a lawmaker. All right, uh, Andrew in an email says, "Are school closures a correct scientific response here? Uh, other places with far higher numbers of infections are still operating schools. In recognition that there are very few cases among kids anywhere globally, education and psychological well-being of kids, especially an important examination or pre-primary to secondary years." plus parents need to work, is being valued by keeping them open. Meanwhile, packed MTR buses and ferries remain unregulated and officially unmentioned, where will undoubtedly be a high risk of transmission. Some of the rise in figures are about to have come from the ignored elephant in the room, public transport. That is from uh, Andrew. So, uh, Ipkin, you and the government has just closed the schools again. I've got to say, we seem to be... Um, we close the schools, I think, more than any, drop, anywhere drop else. Drop of a hat. Uh, drop of right. a hat, we do close you're schools. Right. We closed the schools uh, for the longest period. Mm. I think well, we started uh, uh, from uh, early uh, February this year. So uh, all the way, I think we have uh, uh, closed our schools for more than for longer than uh, half a year. So uh, that is there must be the longest in the world. Mm. And the effect on the children? And it, uh, I think uh, is uh, is negative, of course. I think we uh, uh, in some international summit for uh, you know, education ministers all over the world. Uh, the conclusion is that you know uh, schooling is, is is important because you know we close the school for a period of time. We uh, realize that uh, you no know, schooling is really important for students, not only for the sake of you no know, uh, cognitive or you no know, study, uh, but also for social. Interaction. You know, the uh, school is a place that uh, students can meet their teachers and also their classmates and to play and to you know make friends and right. to have all sorts of social interaction. Yeah. I think this is important for children. They learn how to relate to each other and to yeah. adults in that yeah. environment. That is very important. Uh, social development of the uh, children right. and also in terms of studying. I think well. Uh, zooming uh, or you know, on, online teaching has a lot of constraints uh, for nowadays. Uh, you know, because of the technology, uh, you know, maybe uh, a few years later we can have better technological uh, back, uh, environment. And also, you know, some of the students may may be lack of the uh, hardware and and, hmm. and uh, assessment to the internet, etc. After a long holiday, like in the summer. Uh, I think teachers notice a drop-off in performance uh, when the students come back, that they need a sort of week or so to get back up to where they were before the holiday. Certainly, I think uh, teachers uh, realise, and, and not only uh, this, uh, the, you know, the, there is uh, problems in general, but also you know, students vary from each other, uh, you know, some of the students uh, with better support from the family and also have better self-control, will, I, I think they can keep up uh, right. with the schedule. But uh, on the other hand, some students who without uh, adequate family support or without you know, self-control will suffer from you know, lacking behind. Uh, they just you know uh, play uh, electronic games all the days or, or, or they just lag behind very much. But 
correct me if I'm wrong, um, your organisation, the PTU, was pressing the government for these closures, wasn't it? You wanted this. Yes, um, I think, uh, yes, the, the, the situation is getting worse. Uh, uh, in general, I think, well, what, what I, I myself would look upon to the advice of the medical experts uh, because this is uh, uh, a public health issue. So uh, I think the, the medical experts' uh, advice is the most important in the decision-making process. Uh, but uh, when it came to yesterday, when uh, the uh, confirmed cases exceed uh, 100, was that was you know, very obvious that you know, ordinary people can see the situation is getting uh, very severe. So we uh, asked the government to do what it can. And, and according to the past uh, exp- uh, practice, you know, the uh, very natural conclusion is to uh, uh, suspend clauses. But why do you suppose other countries are not? It, it seems for us this is a sort of f- step one. As soon as the numbers spike a little bit, all right, close the schools. Other Other countries seem to be taking a a longer-term view of the effect on the children? Um, I think um, different countries are actually taking, uh, ha- ha- uh, having different uh, way to deal with the issue. Some would uh, suspend classes. Some would uh, keep the classes open. Uh, I think Britain is, uh, you know, when they are tightening up, uh, the measures, but they still keep the school open uh, for the time being. But in other places, uh, they uh, also suspend schools. Actually, I think well, um, most of the places, most of the countries in the world have experienced some sort of uh, suspending classes. Uh, in Hong Kong, we have the longest because you know, COVID-19 uh, occurs in Hong Kong. Uh, uh, Hong Kong is the earliest place to be affected by COVID-19. So we had the longest period of suspending classes. And up to now, I think this is a question that is not yet uh, fully answered. Is it it the best way to close down schools uh, during uh, the uh, pandemic? Uh, I think, well, uh, because in some uh, studies, you know, in some medical studies, they found out that you know, the youngsters uh, are least affected by the COVID-19. And so they themselves might not be that easy to, to be affected. But uh, the problem is whether you know, they can be a carrier of the virus. And in, in the school setting, they might transect uh, the virus and then... Uh, you know, bring back to take home. Uh, for, yeah take home and that is something we are not so sure so i think well uh, uh hong kong is of course i think uh, adopting a very uh you know uh, a very care a cautious measure uh that is trying to reduce the uh, the risk at most uh but whether this is the most uh, appropriate way uh, i think well uh, we still do not have a very satisfactory uh, answer. Okay. Uh, uh, Dr. Sridhar, uh, this is a question from uh, June. 
who says, I recently inquired my GP about the vaccine situation and whether I can get a particular type of vaccine from Canada. My GP's disturbing response is that there will be so much demand that it's not clear whether Hong Kong can get any vaccine allocated by Europe, stroke US, stroke Canada, farmers anytime soon. Does this imply we don't have a choice of vaccine for at least another year and must resign to accepting or accepting a... Uh, Chinese vaccine, because in the policy address it's been stated that China will have enough vaccines for the population in Hong Kong and therefore the only one available. Can you ask the professor this, please? That's from June. Uh, any insight on that, Dr. Sura? Yeah. Do you know? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, these are pharmaceutical companies who are uh, behind a lot of these vaccines and they're interested in doing business. So if any garment, for example, the Hong Kong garment with its deep pockets can procure, can afford the vaccine, I'm sure they'd be willing to sell it to us. Now, but this is something that's going to happen eventually. Now, for the first few months, once the vaccines start becoming available in Hong Kong, you are probably not going to have a choice as to which one you get, because um, not all vaccines are going to be launched at the same time. It's going to happen uh, probably in waves of different vaccines becoming slowly available in Hong Kong. And it's entirely possible that one of the candidates that are available in Hong Kong in sufficient quantities might be the uh, Chinese candidate. But we're still waiting for the final efficacy data on the uh, Chinese candidate. So we don't know how effective it is yet vis-a-vis -vis the ones that have been released by Pfizer or AstraZeneca or Moderna. So we're probably not going to have much of a choice in the first few months or first year or so. But then as more companies enter the market in Hong Kong, it should start becoming more competitive. Do, do you think it's likely that an individual would be able to, like, choose and say, I want that vaccine from from that country, or you just kind of get what's allocated to Absolutely. wherever I you mean, live? We, we're going to have to do with what is available mm. in Hong Kong based on what the Hong Kong government decides to procure and register locally. So I don't think uh, we're going to have a choice, initially at least, but then that might slowly... That, that might change quite quickly, you know, depending mm. on how the vaccines are rolled out. Okay, some, just a few more emails to uh, finish off. Uh, this is from uh, James, who says, I never thought I'd write this, but Michael Tin is one of the most reasonable voices left in Legco and public life now. I hope, him have, hope you have him as a guest more often. Uh, even bro Michael's brother James is an eloquent and in-the-know person. Hope you chase up on Matthew Chung's almost, uh, almost commitment to have officials appear on Backchat. If that is a false sort of promise, it must be exposed. Now more than ever, all avenues of accountability must be pursued. Please continue your good work. The future of RTHK and the public's right to know depends on it. That comes um, uh, from James. Neil says, in regard to the crowded MTR trains, the MTRC has reduced the frequency of trains to save costs. This squeezes more people together. As a preventative measure, the MTR should increase the train frequency to reduce the number of people per train. As the government is the majority owner of the MTR, I'm sure suitable financial compensation arrangements could be made. That comes uh, from Neil. Jim says, in public, masks are to be worn with exemptions for those exercising, eating or drinking. Why then do we tolerate smokers who, who regard, disregard, discarding their masks as a right? That uh, comes from Jim. And also on masks, uh, Nick says, there are additional benefits for masks that may be overlooked, apart from the obvious reduction in moisture particle transmissions between persons. It also appears that many people still see masks as protecting themselves, not to protect others in case they're effective. Additionally, there 
there is a reduction in touching of mouth by hands that touch other surfaces and a reduction of transmission of moisture particles onto surfaces from infected persons. The result is fewer contaminated surfaces. It's, is it time to have better education about all the positive effects of masks? Uh, and uh, Jay says we see many kindergarten children wearing hats with shields on. It's about time the public started wearing these. Then we can all go out to bars, restaurants and clubs. That is from Jay. And on Facebook, John says just talk to the people arriving by plane. People on Facebook report that those who have to stay in quarantine are all crammed into the same buses. Then allowed to catch bus, taxi or MTR to hotels. That observation <laughs> from John. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to our guests this morning, to uh, Ipkin Yun, the education sector lawmaker. Still, uh, for, and to, still for today. Still today. And uh, also to Dr Siddharth Sridhar, who's a clinical assistant professor at uh, Hong Kong University's Department of Microbiology. Thank you very much indeed. He treated me once, actually. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Do you know, it's been a very well. educational programme. Very, yeah. yeah. We learned a lot, didn't we? We did. And we were taught by people who don't actually spring to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, leave with the weather. And uh, it's uh, cool, cool with a couple of rain patches of the forecast for this morning. Dry uh, with sunny periods this afternoon and uh, cloudy. Temperatures only up to about 22 degrees today. It's going to be fine and dry for the rest of this week. 17 Celsius at the moment. The relative humidity is at 72%. To fight the virus together, we must protect ourselves and others and reduce social contact. Stay at home as far as possible. Avoid social gatherings and don't go to crowded places. Work from home if feasible. Don't shake hands with others. We should also avoid meal gatherings. Let's adopt these measures to prevent the spread of novel coronavirus in the community. For more information on fighting the virus, visit chp.gov.hk. 934, the news with Samantha Butler. The government could subsidise care home workers up to $200 a month to take COVID-19 tests as they face mandatory testing from today. The Secretary for Labour and Welfare, Lord Chi Kuang, made the comment saying the trade had worked hard to avoid infections, but tests were necessary to slow the spread of the virus. 115 new cases were confirmed yesterday. Medical experts have warned that America's severe coronavirus outbreak is likely to get even worse as millions travel home after the Thanksgiving holiday. Anthony Fauci said there could be a surge upon surge in cases. And Donald Trump has attacked the FBI and the U.S. Department 